Welcome, podcast listeners. I'm Captain Jake Moraldi. Today on the Modern War Institute podcast, we'll be talking to Brigadier General Nehemiah Sokal of the Israeli Defense Force. Brigadier General Sokal is the Chief of Staff of the Logistics and Technology Division of the Israeli Defense Force, and his current responsibilities include dealing with the tunnel problem emanating from Gaza, as well as autonomous and unmanned system development and implementation. As always, the opinions expressed in this podcast are those of respective participants and do not constitute the position of the United States government. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, I'd encourage you to check out the new MWI website at mwi.usma.edu. While the address is the same, we've updated the look and searchability of the website, and it should be much easier to find the content you're looking for from MWI. So please check it out. All right, sir. So welcome to the podcast today. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. As chief of staff of the technology and logistics branch of the Israeli Defense Force, you have a really wide array of duties. Can you talk to me about what your primary responsibilities are in that role? First of all, uh, I'm in charge for the logistics support for all the forces at the IDF, the Navy, the Air Force, the intelligence, the ground forces. Uh, regarding supply, maintenance, transportation, uh, construction, medical care, uh, all of these uh, uh, elements of uh, support we call logistics at the IDF. The second uh, role or thing I'm in charge of is being a joint staff coordinator for the logistics support for all the forces. The third one I'm in charge for all the uh, technologies regarding the, the ground forces uh, and the gen- generic ones that serve all the, the forces, excluding uh, airplanes and ships that are uh, dealt by the Air Force and Navy. Sure. So as one of your major focuses in your role is the tunnel problem that emanates from Gaza. Can you discuss some of the, the challenges associated with that and, and some of the background behind those challenges and what solutions you've, you've come up with to handle it? Yes, the, the, the tunnel capabilities were developed by the Hamas for a few main reasons. The, the first one was to uh, smuggle rockets and weapons from uh, the south of Gaza uh, at the border between Egypt and uh, Gaza, and they use it for a, lo- a long period of years. The second purpose was uh, infiltration tunnels in order to kidnap or use these tunnels to attack cities uh, that are very close to the uh, Gaza border. And the third mission, they look on the tunnels as an opportunity, is to connect infrastructure inside uh, the Gaza Strip in order to support the efforts uh, and uh, improve the uh, capabilities uh, defending our attacks uh, by using underground infrastructure. And uh, these are the main three purposes. When you look back to the, to the, to the past uh, regarding the infiltration tunnels, you'll see that the first time they used it uh, operationally uh, in in succeeding by doing so was the kidnap of uh, Gilad Shalit on uh, 2006 while they uh, got into uh, Israel through uh, one of these kind of infiltration tunnels and uh, killed the the crew 
of the tank and kidnapped Gilad Shalit uh, to the Gaza Strip. Later on, we uh, noticed that they uh, made a huge effort to dig more infiltration tunnels beneath the border, and eventually we found in 2014 around 32 infiltration tunnels with a lot of exits, and uh, it serves as, as an offensive net. Uh, and their purpose was to get into Israel in mass force simultaneously in many using many exits and trying to make a, a mega terror attack on our cities, murdering a lot of citizens, kidnapping a lot of them into the Gaza Strip. And if they succeeded, it was a change, a strategic change to the region. So we think of tunnels, at least I do, in, in sort of low-tech terms, right? It's a fairly for lack of a better term, primitive solution to a lot of, a lot of potentially problematic military challenges for a, a terrorist group like Hamas or for a, a non-state actor. What do you think is driving something like the creation of these tunnels? Is it another data point for asymmetric warfare? Is it just the lack of ability of Hamas to match you know, your, your technological capability, what is driving the use of, of tunnels in Gaza? The, the, the Hamas knows he can defeat us. And uh, as you said, it's an asymmetric warfare. And they use asymmetric means in order to do it. Uh, for example, the rockets they fire are homemade, part of it or most of it even are homemade rockets that are made from raw material, materials that are, that are used for civil purposes. In order to stop it, we should use high-tech technology that uses radars and uh, missiles uh, and many others, and it's, it's an asymmetric situation. Also for the tunnel uh, issue, they understand that uh, we are developing means uh, in order to stop the rockets. They understand that by doing what I spoke before, like kidnapping or, or murdering uh, civilians or soldiers uh, using tunnels, they will force us to negotiate with them and even to free terrorists from prisons uh, with blood on their hands. And this is a a way of thinking that uh, brings them to find solutions by their point of view that can overcome the asymmetrics capabilities of Israel as a, as a military. And tunnels is one of the examples for doing so. The other thing that I think people imagine when they think of tunnels as a, as a military problem are what you've termed the, the infiltration tunnels, or for our example in the United States, you know, the tunnels that drug cartels use between Mexico and the United States. But it's not, it's not just that. You've said before that, you know, the town of Gaza has tunnels that connect all the buildings together, essentially. What, what other modern war analogy can, can tunnels equate to when we're talking about the, you know, whether it's the megacity problem or the uh, urban sprawl problem or, or any of those kind of larger modern war issues uh, that we're thinking about these days? I think that uh, modern warfare 
uh, and modern combats will occur mainly in urban areas. And urban areas are a, a place that uh, tunnels and underground facilities can be used, uh, mainly by asymmetric uh, opponents, as something that changes the equation. Because you have to make a lot of effort in order to know about this infrastructure. You can see it, you can photo it from the air. Uh, you have to do a lot of efforts, intelligence efforts, in order to deal with this kind of knowledge. Furthermore, fighting in, in these environments brings a whole new challenges to the fighting units. Uh, we have to change our, our doctrine and uh, the way we do things, because underground facilities uh, are not so intuitive as buildings and uh, places we are used to be. And uh, this brings also moral issues to the battlefield. Kidnapping is, uh, of soldiers is the main purpose for asymmetric uh, opponents. And I think all of these issues brings uh, the issue of tunneling and defending tunneling and dealing with tunneling as something that should be investigated and uh, developed by all the militaries around the world. So you mentioned that you've come up with sort of a hybrid solution of new technology and changes to doctrine and, and training in handling the, the tunnel or the subterranean problem that you've, you've discovered in Gaza. Can you elaborate on some of uh, what you've done to, to handle that problem? First of all, I should understand that finding an existing tunnel is a very complicated uh, mission, and even the most sophisticated and uh, new technologies uh, find it uh, very hard to deal with this problem. Finding ex excavation and movements in existing tunnels it's much, is much more uh, simple and uh, effective. And we we... we used a lot of different technologies making data fusion and data analysis between many kind of technologies. These technologies relies on radars, uh, GPRs, lidars, seismic uh, means like geophones, microphones, fiber optics, uh, microphones and many others in order to try to listen and to feel what is happening underground and the idea is to implement it with gaining experience dealing with this uh, problem and improving it uh, along the time. The second thing is, as you said, doctrine. We should uh, we, we developed uh, a doctrine and training our forces in order to mitigate uh, this uh, challenge. Not only finding the, the uh, tunnel, but also how to deal with it after we find it, how to map it, precise map it, how to get inside it if it is needed, and we prefer not to, uh, and how to uh, destroy it at the end, using many means like drillers, uh, heavy machine uh, that are used for, for construction in, in the civil market that adapted to this issue, uh, and at the end, 
we developed a doctrine combined with technology that looks at this problem holistically uh, and trying to implement something that will be something that is parallel to the Iron Dome but for the tunnels, like building a, a concrete wall with sensors and uh, other means in order to stop uh, the infiltration tunnels from the capabilities to bring uh, uh, the Hamas from Gaza into the uh, uh, into Israel. Why, in in the effort to do that, has technology been sort of a? Why has technology been the primary driver of solving this problem? What about the way you know where we are in the world today allows technology to be the best means to do that, as opposed to having people and soldiers specifically go down and, and find these things? Because you you don't know where to go. Underground tunnels, uh, you, you can see them. And it's like searching for a needle in uh, a pile of uh, sand. You can't find it. You, you must use technology in order to find these tunnels. Without technology, you won't find it. And uh, the idea is to implement the, the right technology or technologies with the right doctrine in order to uh, mitigate this challenge. If you could extrapolate out for me a little bit, how do you envision something similar to what you are doing in Gaza being applied to somewhere else in the world? Again, looking at the subterranean problem as a larger problem wrapped up in the concept of megacities and, and all that, how might your doctrine or, or technology or training help someone who's interested in understanding how they might fight in Karachi, Pakistan, for example, or in Baghdad, or in Mosul like they are right now, where the same sorts of three-dimensional problems are likely to be seen? Yeah, I, I think that there are a lot of factors uh, that uh, uh, you should take into account while you develop doctrine and uh, technology for a problem like tunnels. You should uh, know the geological, geological issues, uh, what soil you are uh, treating, what is the moisture in it, how it is combined, if it has rocks or not, if it has uh, cavities or not, and many other issues. This is, these are factors that are not generic. They can change between different zones, different combat areas. But uh, while you look at the problem, you can find a lot of generic uh, issues that collaborating uh, and sharing experience and uh, information and data about them can help everyone to uh, mitigate this challenge. For example, how to do a precise mapping of a tunnel after you find it. It doesn't matter in, if it's made from rock or cement or soil or, or dirt, it's, it doesn't matter. If you'll implement the right technology, the right sensors, the right robots, the right uh, means to map it, you can gain a lot of uh, advantages fighting in this uh, kind of uh, environment. And I think, uh, as I said, it's, it's a worldwide problem, like you said, in megacities and many uh, aspects like this. And I think the problem of precise mapping of uh, a, a tunnels or underground infrastructure is something that 
should be in a collaboration method and should be looked holistically. Another thing, for example, is uh, how to destroy a tunnel. Also, here it doesn't matter if it's made from rocks or concrete. Of course, you should treat it differently if it is made from different materials, but the, the solutions like liquid uh, detonators or other means should be investigated and also for this challenge I think it's a worldwide problem that should be investigated uh, and solutions should be uh, developed generically in a way that can serve uh, many militaries. So you've mentioned robots a couple times over the course of our interview so far and I think it's important to note before the rest of this question, that you are also responsible for developing and implementing autonomous systems for, for the IDF. What about fighting in, in that subterranean plane, whether it's in a tunnel or whether it's in a sewer somewhere, makes robots an ideal choice to, if not be the only combatant, so to speak, in, in that space, a better sort of combatant in that space than a conventional soldier? Yeah. It's... This, this kind of environment, the underground facilities and tunnels, is a risky environment. And fighting in it and mapping it and collecting information about it is a, is a risky mission. And if you can uh, do these missions without risking your soldiers, I think we should prefer to do it in this way. And robots are a very effective tool uh, to reduce the risk. And uh, we tried and succeeded implementing special robots that fits uh, to this mission. And we are developing new techniques and uh, new technologies to even uh, improve this kind of robots. And uh, I think this issue is most or highly fits to the world of robots and unmanned capabilities. So in your development of autonomous systems, aside from the, the robots, what other, if not specific projects, what other types of technologies are, are you looking at in terms of autonomous systems? Of course, uh, using autonomous uh, airplanes uh, is widely used uh, all over the world, also it's the IAF. Uh, and this is the main arena that uh, autonomous or unmanned uh, capabilities are used. But today's modern battlefield opportunities brings many more uh, arenas into the unmanned uh, world. I'm sure we will see unmanned uh, vehicles very soon at the civil market, unmanned vehicles very soon at the battlefield for many purposes. I'm sure that uh, at the end, we will not replace the good old or bad old. <laughs> Differs how you look at it, uh, kind of fighting, because you won't replace the soldiers that have the full situation awareness and can uh, decide clever decisions, for example, moral decisions even. If to target uh, a house, if it, if it has civilians in it or not, these are decisions we won't uh, let machines do. But different uh, missions, like, uh, for example, supply missions, 
that logisticians uh, deal with can be done uh, with unmanned uh, supply convoys and reduce the, the risk of bringing fuel, ammunition, food, water to the front line. And I think uh, we'll find it very quickly. At uh, the battlefield, we are working, working on it. Uh, as a matter of fact, we are coordinating this effort with the Army, the U.S. Army, and uh, I think uh, we will see it uh, more and more in the future. And the uh, second uh, issue is uh, drones. Drones are becoming a very common uh, civil market uh, tool, and uh, we will see them more and more. Uh, and they are being used for many uh, purposes, like mapping, uh, maintenance purposes of uh, infrastructure, and a lot more. And this becomes a market of billions or even more. And uh, I'm sure we'll see drones doing missions of supply, energy supply to uh, infantry uh, uh, warriors and many others at the battlefield. Of course, intelligence operations uh, that can be done by drones and many others, I'm sure we'll see drones uh, getting into the battlefield more and more. Well, you anticipated both of my next questions. As an infantryman, I was going to make sure that I was still going to have a job after uh, the autonomous system start being implemented. So yeah. that's good. I'm glad, I'll, I'm glad I'll still have a job in the future. You have the right experience. <laughs> uh, my other question is, and you highlighted, and I think drones is probably the best example currently, is the, the devolution of technology that may have 10, 15, 20 years ago been a state-only technology devolving down to non-state actors or even individuals. And drones seem to be the one that we're able to pick up on the most easily, whereas a remote-controlled, as a remote-controlled reconnaissance asset or an aerial IED or, or any of those sorts of things can be bought on Amazon for $100 and yeah. I can have it delivered to my house. How do you, how do you see and what are your concerns about that proliferation of technology, not drones specifically necessarily, but the, the broader proliferation of more powerful technology down to a lower level. As I said before, asymmetric warfare brings this kind of uh, issue to the front, uh, and we should uh, develop the, the right ways in order to uh, mitigate this uh, challenge. And uh, I can say that uh, by developing uh, capabilities in a more modular and generic ways, like developing radars that can detect rockets, homemade rockets, with the same missile, with the same radar to detect missiles with the right adaptation, uh, adjustment, and uh, to uh, detect drones, for example, with the right uh, adjustment. Uh, if we will, uh, and we are doing it, uh, develop it in the right way, uh, it can be a very strong tool in order to mitigate this uh, challenge. The second thing is uh, that we can use the same way of implementing uh, technologies in order for us to be fast enough and uh, not uh, stay behind. Because developing state-of-the-art technology takes time and you should predict the future in order to uh, invest in uh, research and development. And it's, it's, it takes time. And buying drones, for example, takes no time. So 
we should develop new procedures how to uh, implement uh, developing implement technologies in much faster less bureaucracy methods uh, that can bring the civil technologies into the uh, warfare area like our opponents do and I think uh, it can be done and we are doing it and we have to improve by doing it and uh, I think we are uh, in the right uh, path the other thing I want to ask you about was we've talked a lot about what I would kind of what I kind of envision as sort of conventional warfare technologies things that are used in a more tangible space how do you see the proliferation and, and devolution of capability in a little bit less tangible sphere like cyber or the social media space? How do you see that playing out? You know, the, the, the cyber and social media are uh, uh, an arena that brings whole new challenge to everywhere around the world. And uh, by thinking on the opportunities it brings to the battlefield, I think uh, we can use it much more effectively than we do today. For example, these days, the modern logistics uh, goes from owning to sharing. If you look about uh, having a car, for example, at the pastime, you should own a car to get from place to place. These days, more and more capabilities are coming using social networks, in order to not to own a car, but get to share this uh, resource. Everyone can, get, can become a taxi driver and take people from place to place. You just have to publish that you want something and you'll get it. In the past, we saw it happening to information. Like, if you think about it, 20 years ago, if someone would tell you that you can uh, uh, get a song without owning it, buying it on a CD. Uh, you you think it's it's a science fiction? It's, it can't be done. These days, you don't have to own an, uh, a disc. You have just to uh, share it with everyone on the net. The same will become for the physics world. We will share energy. We will share. In, of course, information. We will share assets and resources. And for example, if you look at the modern battlefield regarding cyber and social network, if a platoon logistician wants food, he will say, I want food. And no matter for him from where or when it comes, it can come from whoever has this resource and will to share it with him. It can be a, a whole change of how we look at the battlefield regarding cyber and uh, uh, information. And social media will affect the physical world of fighting in a way that we can just predict right now, but I'm sure it will be. So the last question I have for you, this being West Point and us having this podcast here, um, I always ask people that I interview how cadets or junior officers, recent graduates, can go about preparing themselves for what we've discussed. Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about how, if I'm gonna graduate from West Point in six months, how I can prepare myself for the, the challenges, whether it be tunnels or the technological solutions 
to problems that are on the horizon or the devolution of technology? How can I be more ready to handle that as a, as a lieutenant? I think the first thing is being open-minded and uh, highly educated. The usual thing is that we say uh, that you should learn all the time and you can't stop learning because you'll finish here at West Point and uh, you'll come to the uh, to, and you are going to assign to a fighting unit and you can think that you, you can stop learning, but you can't because the world is changing and in, in a rapid uh, and escalating uh, uh, speed. And uh, I can say that uh, even today, while I am as a brigadier general uh, in charge of a large organization, I learn all the time about new things and new technologies and new uh, doctrines and trying to think how can I implement uh, new opportunities that raise up uh, by the world, but by the civil market and others, uh, in order to uh, adapt it to, to our needs. And Learning is the, is the first key factor. The second one is experiencing. You can't be uh, good in your uh, profession without experiencing things. You gain experience by, by doing. Learning is important, by, but it's not enough. You should experience the things. So I think that these days we have very good opportunities in how to experience things that are very hard. To, to, to experience like fights in the battlefield. Uh, we have very realistic uh, simulators that we should use and we are using. We should develop new simulators and I think uh, gaining experience is uh, the second important uh, key factor. The third one is being the best you can. I think this is a state of mind. It's not, uh, it's, and it's a value. Being the best you can for the security of your country and security of the people, uh, I think, and the humanity, I think it's something that drives us as soldiers uh, to do more and to try to be even better than we are today. And by implementing this kind of thinking, all this, the, the others are, comes automatically because you are learning and experiencing and have the drive to do it. And I think this is the most important issue. Okay. Well, sir, that's all I have for you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and thank you so much. Thank you. If you'd like to find additional research, op-eds and other original ideas from the Modern War Institute, please visit the War Council blog at mwi.usma.edu or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find new episodes of the Modern War Institute podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For the Modern War Institute, I'm Captain Jake Moraldi. I hope you'll join us next time for more in-depth discussions on war, policy, and leadership.